What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jeff Smith sitting in. We are honored to be joined by Jody Jacobson, president and editor-in-chief of Rewired.News. Jody Jacobson, how you doing? Okay, how are you doing? I'm holding up. The What are you paying attention to most closely? Let's talk about Kavanaugh for a moment and about the state of the national conversation. What are you focused on most closely now, and what do you hope that more and more people in the country will be focused on? Well... I mean, there's a lot to focus on with respect to the nomination and the process, but I think that right now we're looking for two things. We've noted that the Senate Judiciary Committee, if they were really concerned about sexual assault and sexual harassment, they would take it seriously. They would have the FBI investigate and then act on those findings, whether or not Kavanaugh was cleared. But they are going out of their way to avoid an FBI investigation, which tells me there's something wrong. And they're spinning all sorts of conspiracy theories while at the same time attacking her credibility, um, creating conditions in which her safety and security are at risk. She's had to go into hiding with her family. It's the same GOP playbook, um, except, you know, with more high-tech tools at at their disposal in in terms of the Internet and the kinds of ways that she's been threatened. So we're watching now for um, the next steps of Dr. Blasey Ford's team, Um, her visibility in public and availability and her safety. Uh, Those are the things of the greatest concern and her ability to testify under conditions that allow her to tell her story and have an actual investigation of the claim. And and I don't know if I, I was going to ask some questions about Kavanaugh, but I don't want to just sort of center the dude in the story. Uh, what what words do you have for us with respect to uh, to Dr. Uh, Blasey Ford? And with I mean, I, I saw Donald Trump's I think probably listeners saw Donald Trump's tweets attacking her credibility this morning. Um, his house is so glass he should not be allowed to possess stones when it comes to credibility. But what do you what do you know that she is dealing with in addition? I mean, she's had death or she's had to leave her house. Uh, what do you hope that she does or what do you hope that other others do with or for her? 
Well, um, you know, we know Donald Trump to be who he is. Let's face it, the guy is himself a sexual harasser and potential sexual assault um, perpetrator, also, you know, supported um, uh, Roy Moore, has had abusers in his White House, knowing they were abusers, we could go on. So his comments are both expected and disgusting at the same time. What I hope for her, and I I happen to know um, her legal team, they are excellent at their, um, at, you know, in, in this field. They're the premier uh, legal firm that deals with sexual assault and sexual harassment cases. Um, we're not seeing, by, by on purpose, you know, an Avenatti-style drama unfolding in public. What they are doing is very carefully negotiating the terms under which uh, Dr. Blasey Ford would be able to testify and able to get the kind of investigation she wants. Un, and testify under the conditions that she sets. Um, so they are working really diligently to do that, and I'm real, and I'm I'm confident in in her team. I also know that there are a team of incredibly smart feminist politicos that are working with her and comms people that are working with her. So what I think we'll see is um, Dr. Blasey Ford becoming you know coming out in public under her terms, which is the way it should be because she is the alleged victim here it shouldn't be we shouldn't be putting her on trial we shouldn't be questioning her steps forward into the public eye we should be allowing her to come into the public um, space in the way she wants that's how sexual assault victims should be treated if you were taking what is known as a trauma-informed approach to these kinds of things that's not what the GOP wants because we've seen they want to um, they want to uh, support Kavanaugh under any circumstances, no matter what. What I hope people do to support Dr. Blasey Ford is to make sure that in their own circles, wherever they are, if they are at work or in personal circles or in other public spheres, and they are having conversations about this, that they fight back on victim blaming. That's the first thing. Um, we know victims often come forth much later after an assault has happened for, you know, very, um, very, uh, for, for very important reasons. I also hope people will consider donating to the fund approved by her legal team and now um, co-sponsored by Alyssa Milano, Vote Pro-Choice, and a range of other groups uh, because she needs uh, financial support. She's got security costs. She's had to relocate and hide her family. She's got legal bills. She's got transportation costs. There's a lot going on here that's suddenly been thrust on her. Um, And so, and in a way, when you think about it, she is fighting this fight for virtually every woman in this country who is either a, a victim of sexual assault or harassment or could potentially be because she is basically taking a stand against having a potential sexual assault perpetrator on the Supreme Court. And there's really no way to overstate what she's undertaking here. Take us inside a little bit, the negotiations to the extent that you either know or can 
kind of understand the negotiating point. So things that have already come out that have been reported are that she wanted to, and, and through her lawyer also, wanted there to be an FBI investigation in advance. So far, the Trump administration has been unwilling to do as the Reagan administration was willing to do and have an F- FBI investigation. It wouldn't take all that long. Uh, now, not that many witnesses to talk to, uh, but she has requested that FBI investigation. The key thing about the FBI investigation is lying to the FBI as a crime, and therefore, if Kavanaugh were to talk to uh, the FBI, if anybody else who was a witness uh, talked to the FBI, if they weren't truthful and if that were provable, they will have just committed a crime. But in addition to that, uh, we've heard there was a request for actual senators to ask questions rather than there to be outside counsel. Uh, why is that point important or any other thing in our last 30 seconds that you think people ought to be watching for as these negotiations unfold? So I don't pretend to have inside knowledge of the day-to-day of the negotiations, but I do think we should be watching for, yes, um, making sure that the senators themselves are put on the spot to question her because they've been assailing her character and they should have to face her. Jody Jacobson of Rewire.News. Jody Jacobson talking about the implications of the Kavanaugh hearings and what that will have not only on the Supreme Court, but also on the discussion around sexual assault, around how we move against a culture of misogyny, how each of us who played our own role in that culture can come to grips with it and have a world that bends the arc of history at least a little bit more towards justice. Jody, what's your Twitter handle? J.L. Jacobson? Uh, Yes. And at Rewire underscore news and rewired.news. Thank you so much for being with us, Jody. Thank you. Bye-bye. You listen to Tom Hartman's show. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and I'm really pleased that Quip is advertising with our program because they've got an amazing product. When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, these are important habits that have a huge impact on your health. And I grew up with so many misunderstandings about brushing my teeth that I, you know, that frankly, I didn't learn about until I got my Quip electric toothbrush. And they're the ones who told me, you only need a little tiny dot of toothpaste, for example. And you don't need to scrub the crap out of your mouth. You just two minutes gently with a toothbrush twice a day. You don't need to do it three times a day. You don't need to get hysterical about it. My OCD had kicked in back when I was a teenager around brushing my teeth, and I think I frankly damaged my gums going nuts with all this electric toothbrushes and stuff. Quip is a really great new electric toothbrush that's gentle and really works. It fixes those problems. It does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need. They cost five times as much, and here's the amazing thing. Quip starts at just $25. And you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks. And shipping is free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. I agree. Go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. And when you do... You're also supporting our program and our podcast. Thank you. I have thought a little bit about Star Wars, and I know that the Tom Hartman community, that uh, many of us, probably a significant majority, I would I would guess, but at least a meaningful portion, uh, are Bernie Sanders voters. And so, uh, likening Hillary Clinton to Obi Wan Kenobi might have some uh, might get some pushback. When Obi Wan Kenobi says, "Strike me down." 
and I'll be more po- powerful than you can possibly imagine. The defeat of Hillary Clinton was historically important for lots of reasons. And one of them is I think that it has awakened a discussion that we need to have, which is how do we make sure that and, and, I, and I don't feel like the expert on this stuff. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just trying to learn. But how do we make sure that our conduct, including as our as Carrie was talking about, that men too, men are raised in this. I was raised in a culture that thought it was a little cooler if you were kind of a jerk, that jerks would do better in some ways. And I learned habits that I am not proud of uh, based on cultural cues as well as my own weakness and my own sin. And how do we change those habits? How do we make it so that the cool kids on the schoolyard have kindness as a significant part of the way that they approach the world? How do we have kindness not be selling out? How do we have that not be synonymous with weakness? Uh, Johnny, you want to bring us home with one quick thought? Okay, two things. Well, a positive thing and a not-so-positive. I'll give you the not-so-positive first. Although it's positive from our point of view. If Donald Trump has got time for Fox TV and cartoons and playing golf more than Obama and tweeting at 3 o'clock in the morning and conducting campaign rallies less than three months after Inauguration Day, he's got time for all that stuff, none of which is presidential. Then he's got time to answer a subpoena and, and, and give question, and answer questions uh, to, uh, to what's-his-face. <laughs> to Bob <laughs> Mueller, yeah. No, it, 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 it is kind of funny that he's there. He's too darn busy. But if you look at his calendar, I don't know that he's too busy to spend a lot of his time at his own properties or to make sure he's really up-to-date on Fox & Friends. He's about as productive as the Republicans. Look on their congressional calendar, all the time off they give themselves. All right, Johnny, you had two points. What was your second one? You said you had two points, I think. What was your second one? Yeah, and I want to give you something more positive. Um, I've been donating to a lot of different candidates on the left, Alan Grayson and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez amongst them. And Alan Grayson, too said he, he was defeated by not too much by that corporate Democrat, whose name I can't remember. But Alan Grayson's emails were excellent as far as talking points and sense of humor and his sense of history and his, and his overall general knowledge. He would have been an excellent candidate for the White House. So if you want to get a sense of what a good candidate sounds like, donate to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because she is almost at his level in terms of rhetoric. And her email address, if I can give it, is U.S. These are lowercase, I believe. U.S. at Ocasio, O-C-A-S-I-O, Ocasio. 2018.com, U.S. at Ocasio2018.com. And she's got like 14 different uh, platform positions, and her, ex- and her site is, is very user-friendly. It's laid out very well. It's excellent. Johnny, and, thank uh, you. once you start getting her emails, and she's, what I like about her is she's won her primary. Thank you so much, Johnny. This is the Tom Hartman Show. One of the, my favorite things that she pointed out. It was just to move beyond left and right and think about how do we help people rise? How do we be more moral? How do we lift further upwards? This is Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. Had a conversation over the break with somebody plugging uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her and some of her, he used the term talking points. I like to think if there's a 
phrase we can use that's even more complimentary than talking points, but some of her rhetorical architecture. And one of the arguments that she has made, and I don't want to put too much, too much pressure on a first year anything. All of us hopefully develop, all of us hopefully get better. I'm hopefully a little bit better now at being your guest than I was when I did it the first time some months ago. I hope to be better in some number of months if y'all have me back. But one thing that I think she, some of the wisdom I think she already has offered is that we not cheapen, that we not lessen, that we not be so reductive as to say, well, some of this stuff is lefty, some of this stuff is righty. To say nothing of the rhetorical choice of having right be a homonym also for virtue. But saying, no, there's anything about left or right. It's not, and, and right or wrong, yeah, but how do we lift people up? It's about everybody. How do we lift people up? How do we rise? How do we reach a higher moral level? Cory Booker did a similar thing when he said rise. My old thing was not just left to right before it. I, I like to think about uh, not only how do we organize ourselves on a false spectrum, but how do we advance the arc of history? But better than forward, I like the rise. I like thinking about how do we lift one another up and not only cluster ourselves along that spectrum. So thank you for that conversation in the break. Let's take another call now. Devin from Columbus, Ohio. Go ahead. Oh, how you doing? Doing all right. I just uh, I heard a young lady making a wonderful comment a few minutes ago, and I thought maybe I could add to that about businesses, guys and gals. And uh, she made a great point. A lot of guys don't stand up and uh, speak out when they should. And because right now it's still assumed that men have that authority when they are approached by other men. And unfortunately, a lot of that can be done and is a problem because you have too many uh, you just have too much of uh, that nice guy finished last attitude up yep. there and that really is still I think that's an issue that's a men and women's problem alike. It's not just a men's problem. That's a, It takes both to tango and not in that arena. Uh, a lot of guys don't want to stand up to be the nice guy because then you're knocked down a couple of pegs. And if you're already low in a, on the peg ladder of the world, you don't really want to go down a few more pegs especially with your social peers or co-workers and such. Uh, it's really hard to really want to do what you know is right when you're the, old, if you're the only guy who has the tenacity to speak up at the moment. You might have three other people in the area, but they're, they're, they don't have the oomph about them to speak up. They're missing that, that, that gusto uh, that would almost be needed to do that. But then too often men have that gusto, and it gets directed to being cruel. Wrong, doing the wrong thing, being mean. Yeah. No, I hear you. And it is the, we have this confusion, and it's deeply confused, and, I, uh, and I've been a part of it, I mean, that, that, that somehow uh, accessing testosterone for the purpose of making another small. That's why I hope more and more of us are more embarrassed about times in our lives when we've made other people feel small. That that has, in fact, and that is not limited to the schoolyard. We now have a president for whom that is an economic and political strategy. And I hope that we learn from that this ain't just about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the apotheosis of some of our toxicity. Rick from St. Louis Park, Minnesota, go ahead. Hello. How you doing, Rick? National DFP. 
I'm great. Um, today is the International Day of Peace and the beginning of 10 days free from violence in the Twin Cities of Minnesota with 60 events organized by TwinCitiesNonviolent.org, including a peace and unity circle around Lake Bidet Makaska, formerly um, called Lake Calhoun, at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Our 40 organizations are inspired by the city of Carbondale, Illinois, the first city to organize days of free from violence. We expect other cities will do the same. And um, please check out the three events by Paul K. Chappell uh, that my church organized. He teaches how to wage peace. And it's all at that website, TwinCitiesNonviolent.org. TwinCitiesNonviolence.org. Rick, listen on 9.50 a.m. Thank you so much for listening on 9.50 a.m., by the way. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. International Day of Peace. Thanks for calling in. Yep. Zach, you've been waiting patiently. Go ahead. Uh, Get out of the trees and check the forest for a second. Question for you. Could Barack Obama set a protective legal precedent by bringing a case and getting a conviction or a ruling on a civil suit representing himself and the American people against Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan for denying the president his due process, get a historical ruling where the outcome could mean if they ever try this again, block a pick without even so much as a hearing and Preventing a president's pick is a serious crime and should be punished. That, that if they could get that ruling, that it could not only you know, cost the person its, his judgeship, but ruin his career for anything after, you know, after that by defrauding the American people. So I may do a little more poking around, not only on the Internet, but also to my memory. But general, but I can give a quick answer even in the seconds just before this break. And thank you, Zach, for calling in. Uh, courts, particularly in civil courts, are uh, woeful or are, are, are very hesitant. They usually say it's a non-justiciable political question to deal with an after-election civil suit as a way to deal with a before, during power-wielded governmental decision. This is the Tom Show. Let's go to Michael. Okay. I'll start off with facts. Wyoming, 579,000 people. North Dakota, 755,000. South Dakota, 869,000. Montana, 1.5. Idaho, 1.7 million. Nebraska, 1.92 million. Combined, that's roughly 7 million people. They got 12 senators. California, roughly 30 million people, two senators. Now, we know who the red states are owned by, called the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers' ultimate dream is a constitutional crisis, which would lead to a rewriting of the Constitution. Now, you're a lawyer, Jefferson. If that crisis is created, who would be entrusted to rewrite a new Constitution? Would it be the Supreme Court, or would it be the Senate and the House, or if you have any idea... Who would be we should, trusted? We should get Larry Lessig, who is an old friend, who's a law professor, and to talk about, because he has advocated for calling a limited constitutional convention. The constitutional convention can be called, based on the call for the convention, can decide the scope of that convention. And so it wouldn't that question wouldn't go to the Supreme Court. And before I spout further, I want to look a little more in or maybe get in a guest who's, who's looked at the specifics really recently. But I want to underscore the point you made. 
And here's data you can check, but I think I'm right, that half the country right now, half the population of the country, is represented by 18 out of 100 U.S. senators. I think if you add up California, Texas, New York, probably Illinois, Florida, uh, and I'm missing three, uh, four states, if you add up the most populous nine states, that's about half the country. That means half the, con- the other half the country gets 82 uh, U.S. senators. And right now, this is why I, I think the uh, how we advocate for democracy, how do we advocate for a system where, in fact, the people govern, to me, that is the most important argument we have to be making. And I'll give you one more piece of evidence, one little data point that it is. So Claire McCaskill was struggling with, had to struggle politically with whether or not to support Kavanaugh. She represents a state that voted for Trump. Many of those people voted for Trump, did it not in spite of, but absolutely because he would appoint someone like Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And she said, uh-oh, how do I deal with this? And what has she said the reason? Wasn't, wasn't Roe versus Wade. She didn't say it was anything about Kavanaugh's personal life. She said it was about dark money. She said it was about Kavanaugh's views about democracy that she recognized with her best political analysis that the argument that she could use in a red state as a Democratic Big D member of the U.S. Senate, the argument she could use was, in fact, democracy. This, to me, for people who are casting about for what is both the base note that can resonate amidst the cacophonous treble and the thing that more uh, specifically or more immediately can be used by somebody in a in a tricky race. The theme morally and politically is democracy. So I, I'm going to I'm going to look up. But the, the quick answer to your question is, yeah, you could call a constitutional convention for a narrow purpose. Uh, there are some who argued that the uh, that that once that was started, it could be thrown open and you might then have a call for a broad uh, a broad constitutional convention. And if the, and the the challenge of the constitutional convention under the Constitution, you'd have the same uh, the same authority that still gives small states and not just majoritarian concerns sway would uh, would come into play, which is why so many even pro democracy advocates are nervous about a broad open convention. But I'll, I can, uh, Michael, thank you for the thank you for the call. I will look more into into that, and I hope you'll call again and hold us accountable. Uh, David from Connecticut, go ahead, speak your piece. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. I love it when you're on. Thanks, man. I just want to present a narrative that I think should be broadcast nationally on mainstream television, but it's not going to happen. When we got Trump, the Republicans made a very, very dark deal with the billionaire class of this nation. And they will accept all the chaos, all the wackiness, all the misogyny, racism, all of it. You know, for their two Supreme Court justices that they're going to get in that trillion and a half tax break, and and and, and how the Democrats become complicit in this is is that and, and why they don't fight harder in saying this on the mainstream press that this is the bargain that the Republicans have made, and you know what, Jeff, they, they don't say this because they have inadvertently become part of that bargain. David, thank you for calling. David, if you haven't hung up, yeah, I haven't hung up. Ask your question again about what you are accusing Republicans, as, as my note here says, Republicans, the billionaire donors, of doing. I want to make sure I respond to the question as you're asking it. Well, what I'm accusing them of is they, they blatantly made a bargain with the billionaire class, the Edelmans, the Koch brothers, that sure. you know we're going to put up with all this stuff, this wackiness of the White House, all of it, because we don't care if this woman's. Uh, 
uh, telling the truth. They don't give a damn at all. With the, the, the bargain, they're going to get their two people on the uh, on the court, and they're going to get their billion and a half, a trillion and a half tax break, and that's it. And that's all. That, they don't care about anything about any of this. And and we got to stop thinking that way. And it, 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 to reform this, uh, we've got to somehow drag the Democrats along, who are voting for seven hundred billion dollar military budgets that are going to uh, allow women and girls all around the world to catch some serious hell. So everybody's complicit, yeah. Jeff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, I, and when I talk to people, they look at me like I got three eyes. But uh, maybe maybe you can uh, well, understand what I'm saying. Here is here is what I'm here's what I would say that the. I go further than the Republicans have made a deal with the billionaire class. All right, everybody runs for office. I shouldn't say everybody. Nearly everybody runs for office who end up getting elected to the U.S. Senate has to raise a bunch of money, and you and almost none of them raise all their money. I mean, you've got you've got uh, Beto in Texas who's not taking PAC money, uh, but almost no U.S. senator is elected without raising lots of money, including lots of money at the federal maximum. And any contested race, any close race, will also get floods of uh, of essentially secret money and independent expenditures that aren't subject to the same limits as hard money contributions to the to the Senate candidates. I think but I think it's deeper than just they're in cahoots in an important way. It is of the same thing. It's not like there's a handful of people over here and a handful of people over there and they shook hands. and say, Hey, let's do this thing together. It's that that is the thing. When we've talked about Nancy McLean's book, Democracy in Chains, as I give my sort of simplified uh, version of her exegesis of political history, the way I would say it is right now the, bo- the battle is more obviously, more obvious. It's been clear for a while, but it's more obviously now ownership versus democracy, property versus people. It's not, it's not left versus right. That, that, that cheapens it. That, that binary view of the political dynamic itself is a tool of oppression. That from the days of John C. Calhoun arguing in favor of property rights, that they were just and right, and the property rights he was talking about were slavery, to then James Buchanan, not the president, arguing in favor of privatization of stuff, specifically schools, in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education, to make sure that there didn't need to be democracy infiltrating schools so that, in fact, the tools of government would require white kids and black kids to go to the same schools to then the Koch brothers taking those ideas and spreading them and taking over the Republican Party that had been, yes, the party of Abraham Lincoln and then the party of Theodore Roosevelt, who have their own sins to be sure, but did important things to bend the arc of history towards at least the 21st century or the 20th century, that the argument that we've got to make is, in fact, in favor of people, not just property, in favor of democracy, not just ownership. And that is tied up, of course, into patriarchal wealth. That's, that's what we fought. That is what we fought the revolution over, was whether or not accident of birth, whether or not inherited wealth was the kind of thing that ought to wield power. If all power, if all property came from God through something inside someone's blue-veined blood, And then that spread to their progeny, and therefore they got to wield the army and control everybody else's economics and make all the decisions. Even before we were deciding and even had the modern awareness about what was happening with women and people of color, we hadn't broadened our perspective. At least then there was an awareness that, you know what, it shouldn't just be, power shouldn't just be determined by property. It shouldn't just be determined by ownership. Democracy and people should be things that matter. 
And now the truth of the matter is when we realize, oh, democracy doesn't just mean white dudes. I don't speak for you, but I recognize that's who I am. Democracy means the whole crew and not just people who identify themselves with a particular binary gender. And if that's what it's going to take, if, if, if that's what democracy is, that's who people are, then, yeah, things are going to change in terms of who wields power. And that is absolutely what is going on. This isn't merely a right left thing. And I don't think it's just a few people making shaking some hands to make a deal. That is what their movement is about, because they recognize and it gets back to the caller before that. They recognize that that view doesn't have majority support in the country. That you put that on the ballot and it doesn't win. That ultimately, people don't really want just a few people to control things based on how much money they got. That's not how people want the world to work. And for the people who have that much money, they have got to subvert or put democracy in chains to continue to rule. That's what's going on. Not just right or left, but forward and up. This is the Tom Hartman Show. If you want the absolute best shirts around, you have to go to CT Shirts. I want you to try them because once you do, you'll never go back to some random shirt off the shelf of a department store. Plus, CT shirts come in custom sizes, so you're not messing with ill-fitted sleeve links or neck sizes. It's time to step up your game and look your best. So I got you a special CT shirts deal. Three CT shirts for $99. CT shirts use the softest, most exquisite fabrics ever. Worker casual, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked. When you're wearing a CT shirt, you will look your best. So here's the deal. One CT shirt normally costs 100 bucks, but right now you'll get three CT shirts for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. If you hurry, 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to www.ctshirts.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's www.ctshirts.com slash Tom. And right now we are also with Luke Vargas. From Talk Media News, TalkMediaNews.com. Luke, how you doing? Well, uh, the thing I've been watching the most this week, with uh, in the wake of this new refugee admissions cap that was placed at a very low number, the lowest in 40 years, uh, by the administration on Monday, has been some reporting coming out uh, just today from NBC, which suggests that Stephen Miller. Uh, the White House uh, whisperer on immigration, who really seems to be pulling a lot of levers, um, was able to uh, exclude Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador, and Mark Green, the administrator of USAID, our uh, agency for international development, from a meeting last Friday where this refugee cap was finalized, um, which uh, directly, you know, this report um, calls into serious question what Sarah Sanders and the spokespeople at the U.S. State Department have been saying, which is, look, you know, all of the uh, relevant voices in the administration who are setting foreign policy and humanitarian policy were rigorously consulted on this uh, 30,000 refugee cap for next year. And, you know, we had a meeting and we all agreed. It turns out <laughs> the people who uh, would have disagreed were barred from even being there. And this sort of puts, I mean, I think many people have been focused on Stephen Miller and his uh, ability to always keep the president's attention on immigration issues and push him even further sometimes than Trump is inclined to go on his own, but sort of puts him on par with the reputations of people like John Bolton, who have been very famous in their tenure in the U.S. government for figuring out who the sort of levers of decision-making power are, and if they contradict him, 
figuring out ways to work the system, to plant ideas in the chief of staff's head and things like that, or just block people from meetings through other means. And I think uh, here, Stephen Miller, quite savvily making sure voices who probably are opposed to the U.S. scaling back its refugee commitments, making sure they weren't even there in the room when the decision was made. Remind people the cap that was put on and then put that in context of how much lower that cap is than in previous years. Okay. Um, Before we talk about next year's cap, let's say this fiscal year 2018, which is about to draw to an end at the end of the month, we had allotted for 45,000 people to possibly come. That was the cap. And we don't always hit that cap. Sometimes we actually, you know, over uh, overdo it, but not not in recent history. Um, and so even though we said 45 for this year, as of right now, we've only let in about 21,000. So we're well below the stated number. And I think you will expect that to continue. But that wasn't good enough. The new cap for next year is 30,000. So we're taking it formally down another 15,000. And we'll probably, again, fall far short of that. Compare this to 115,000, which was the the last fiscal year that President Obama got to set. And you can see this overall number is going way down. And I will also point out that you have seen since Trump came into office an 80 percent reduction in the number of Muslims being allowed to come into the United States. One report finding uh, that Christians now constitute almost 71 percent of all refugees coming into this country here at the United Nations, the U.S., and countries like Hungary, which is a, a, not a, you know, an accidental host for this kind of event, have been sponsoring things for next next week's U.N. General Assembly, where they're specifically highlighting the plight of Christian minority groups that are fleeing conflict. It seems like we've just completely moved on from countries like Somalia or Syria, where Muslims are fleeing conflict, and where, we, you know, this administration is been looking for Syrians or for Christians instead. I think one one uh, anecdote was that there are more folks from Moldova coming into the United States as refugees every year than from Syria, which, given the size of that conflict, is obviously uh, an extraordinary omission if you're just trying to capture the neediest people. So, again, I think you've got to look at the overall number is probably something Stephen Miller is very proud of. And then that 80 percent reduction in, in Muslim refugees is certainly not an accident. The Obama administration, as I understand it, had raised that cap as high as 110,000. I think now in, in 2019, it's going to yep. go down to, I think you said 30,000. Uh, Correct. How, how does that compare with maybe per capita? I don't know if that's a fair way to do it. And by the way, any any comparison to other countries that don't have uh, the Statue of Liberty in the New York Harbor is is maybe not apt. But what do you? Uh, how does that compare with other large nations, or per capita, or by other some comparison by some other comparison? You have just um, outstripped me of my level of preparedness on this topic. I would like to quiz you on other arcane matters of international law and see just how deep the knowledge goes. Look, later today, I am actually interviewing uh, three different people in a little roundtable to dig into these numbers. So if you and I have the chance to talk next week or if it's with Tom, we'll get into much more detail about that. But, uh, I, I, I would, yeah, and forgive me, I didn't, my purpose wasn't to put you on the spot, sure. but, I, but I do. Uh, I am trying not to see everything in the world through a jaundiced partisan eye. Okay, and and I know that Stephen Miller's objective and your and the news you offered is is really helpful. That Stephen Miller uh, was in the room, but who wasn't in the room were people who might have argued otherwise. 
Uh, but I, as we talk about like Chinese, China, U.S. Um, trade negotiations, understanding that, oh, if Trump did it, therefore it's bad. But like, how do we put it in some context? Well, understanding the context of 110,000 to 30,000 Christian keeping out Muslims, maybe that's all we need to know. But I do find the context interesting. Any Anything, what may come of this? What may happen next or anything else you want to cover before they cut us off? Yeah, I know we have about 30 seconds. Let me just build on one thing you were just saying there, which is that the administration's explanation for this is, look, we talk to refugees. They don't want to go to Buffalo. They just want money close to where they are, material support. So that's the kind of excuse you need to give to justify this policy, it seems. Luke Vargas, Talk Media News. You have a delightful voice. I am proud to share airtime with you, and thank you for calling. Well, let's do it again. Take care. Talk to you soon, Luke. This is The Tom Hartman Show. This is your favorite substitute teacher. I hope Jeff Smith. You're listening to Tom Hartman. This is the Tom Hartman program. And I'm Jefferson Smith. New York Times reporting today that Rod Rosenstein suggested that he secretly record Trump and discuss the 25th Amendment. Suggested last year as deputy attorney general two weeks into his stint that he secretly record the president to expose the chaos consuming the administration and discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office for being unfit. Now, I don't know if this bears relationship to Trump's tweets this morning, but people who uh, are part of the X-Ray FM community, the my home station in Portland, Oregon, and shout out to our folks love y'all the you may have heard me say this before when Donald Trump tweets something crazy what I urge what we urge is not immediate reaction but it's to take a breath scan the room and see what else is going on this morning Trump questioned the credibility of Dr. Blasey Ford the accuser of Brett Kavanaugh. He could have done that on any day. It undoubtedly, as soon as he tweets that, causes a firestorm. Everybody's got to respond to the president. Hey, don't shame accusers, president. We are required morally, politically, rhetorically to say so. And I thought at that moment, I was like, oh, Jeff, try to follow your own rule. Take a breath, scan the room, see what else is going on. I didn't know know anything that was going on in particular that seemed... Uh, I shouldn't say out of the ordinary, every darn thing these days out of the ordinary, but that answered my question. So I said, well, maybe it's just he was watching Fox and Friends and tweeted something on the bathroom, whatever. But then I see today on the last day of fall, on the fall before the fall, the story in The New York Times of Rod Rosenstein suggesting that he had he should secretly record Trump and also discussed the 25th Amendment to remove the president and giving credit to the producer of this show during the break, who said, I wonder if Trump will use this Friday when everybody is paying attention to other stuff to fire Rod Rosenstein. That's a good question. Right now, let us spend a few more minutes on and there will be many more minutes spent after that, to be sure. But we're also going to be talking about impeachment and more than impeachment and the calls that people have been waiting very patiently. Thank you for waiting patiently. We have one more guest that we're honored to be joined by Karthik Ganapathy of MoveOn.org. 
Karthik, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what is MoveOn doing with respect to the uh, Kavanaugh appointment and hearings process? What are you hearing out there and anything you anticipate? I like to ask three questions at once because it makes my job dumber. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, let me let me start from the from the last one first. Well, what we're hearing is just, you know, I mean, a lot of people uh, as I'm sure as I'm sure you're hearing as well, a lot of people are really outraged and really upset by what we're seeing uh, in response to the allegations that uh, Dr. Blasey Ford has bravely put out there. Um, you know, and I mean, this basic premise that, that the hearing next week uh, should be a trial uh, of, of the veracity of her claims or the, you know, the, the sort of starting from an assumption of she's lying. Um, I think that really rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, and these aren't, you know, this isn't just sort of a partisan democratic issue, right? We're seeing, well, we're seeing public opinion research. I think uh, an NBC poll yesterday showed that most Americans now, uh, or more more Americans oppose the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh than support him, which wasn't the case two months ago. So look, I, I think Americans believe her. Um, and the problem here is that Republicans in the Senate clearly don't. Right? We're, we're seeing we're seeing uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, the leader of the Senate, say that you know he told the Values Voter Summit this morning that he intends to approve Judge Kavanaugh, regardless yeah. of of what happened. Right? This isn't this isn't a, a, a good faith effort. This isn't a good faith. And, and do we have do we have reporting on his comments of his rationale? Was it that she's lying or she's confused or it doesn't matter or if it matters uh, that he's better now? I don't I don't know. And I don't I don't even know which one I prefer in, in that situation. Right. They're all pretty awful. If, and, if you look at it, assume that she's telling the truth and ignore it anyway. That's bad. If you assume she's lying, that's bad. I, there's just no there's no good way to explain the actions here where you where you have, you know, obviously the same person who delayed the confirmation of Merrick Garland for a year, uh, suddenly imbued by the sudden sense of urgency over someone who, you know, pretty likely committed sexual assault, uh, uh, you know, in, in his youth. I mean, that's this is a this is a serious thing. So I, I think to answer your question, well, we're hearing a lot of concern from people of, over the state of the situation. Um, and so we're trying to we're trying to figure out how best to organize. Obviously, it's a fast-moving situation. The hearing where we're now hearing that the hearing might be on Wednesday instead of Monday. Uh, so we're still trying to figure out exactly how we can how we can organize people, uh, how we can how we can you know organize sort of a national show of solidarity for yeah, that. Yeah, and, and let's, I want to talk strategies for a moment, yeah. and, and as as sure. Move On wrestles with this, because I don't know what percentage of Move On uh, readers and clickers and movement members are yeah. uh, are Republicans. Okay, and my 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 hunch is the percentage is somewhat slow. You might know the answer. Uh, I also uh, re- oh, go ahead. Very low. Yeah. No, and- sorry. Yeah, it's very very low. I think these are. Um, no, I mean I, I think there are, there are a few, but and I don't have the the exact statistical sure. breakdown, but but very low. So the. And, and we know right now the decision is up to the Republicans. I mean, yeah, there's some Democrats who could vote along with them, but that is the decision is up to them. So how do you do you think most in terms of, OK, how do we elevate the discussion so that some of that might bleed into media that does reach some Republicans and some Republicans might reach some other Republicans? Is it more about being prepared for the coming election to make sure that there is an appropriate national reaction to what the Republicans decide to do? How do you think that through strategically? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think we're 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 trying to like focus right now 
on just stopping the confirmation, right? We're, yeah. we're trying to, we're trying to, well, we're trying to focus on this like one day, one week at a time. Um, so we're not, we're not really thinking about November yet, uh, except, except to say that, except to say that we think, you know, it would be, it would be sort of, it, it, w- it would be disastrous, I, I think, for the Republicans to do this over the objections of most of the American people. And yeah. I think that's clearly not just bad on a moral level. It's not just bad on a, on a substantive level. It's also bad on a political level. So, so I think there's that. But uh, as as a as sort of a political matter, right now we are we're looking at we're looking at focusing on the fight over the next week or so uh, to do everything we can to stop the the confirmation of of, of Judge Kavanaugh. Obviously, there's you know there's a bunch of groups we're working in partnership with, uh, like NARAL, um, and they they've been they've been pressing and and pushing on this issue for on 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 Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation in general for weeks. Um, and and obviously that that fight has intensified in recent days as these allegations have come forward. So I, I think for our part, we're we're really just to talk strategy. I mean, the strategy is basically to focus on this one day at a time. Uh, and do everything we can to stop this fight because we're not taking it for granted that this is a done deal, right? McConnell may want to confirm this. See, he may tell the Values Voter Summit that he's going to that he's going to get this guy confirmed. But we're not taking that as a done deal. There are a lot of people with misgivings about this nominee. There are a lot of people who clearly uh, believe what Christine uh, Blasey Ford has put put out there. And and you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of people with serious concerns about the Supreme Court nominee. So this is this to me, is an incredibly winnable fight. We just need to get in gear uh, and stay engaged over the next week or and so. How do you, and and we're, we're about to go to break. How do you think about that winning? Is it is it getting, is it as simple as Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski? Is it Jeff Flake? Is it some name that hasn't been said? you got eight seconds. Yeah, it's, it's all of those. It, yeah. it's, it's all of those names and then a bunch of others. Thank you so much. Karthik and Apathy of MoveOn.org. I'd ask where to go, but I'm guessing it's MoveOn.org. That's right. Thanks so much for being with us. This is Tom Show. Take care. Susan has been waiting very patiently. Susan, thank you for waiting patiently. Thank you for watching on Free Speech TV. Are you still with us? Yes, I am. And, and thank you uh, for being there. I I just have two things to say, and I'm going to try to do it quickly. Um, I want to say that... Uh, I'm I'm really kind of appalled that more people are not donating during your campaign. Uh, if I can if I can give, by God, I think darn near anybody can. Um, you know, if everybody gave that watched and listened to your great show, uh, you wouldn't be in the spot that you're in. Now, um, the second thing I want to say is I I, I just happened to watch. President uh, Trump, in his comments, he said that he just can't imagine uh, that uh, Kavanaugh would do such a thing to this Miss Ford. And I mean, this is a thug. This is a man who tries. Who, who's in, in, he's he's affiliated with the mafia all over the world. I wonder where her threat, death threats, are coming from. Hmm. You know, um, here is a guy who who paid a uh, you know you know what we're talking about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to keep her mouth shut. 
You know, he was overheard making a statement that it's okay and laughed and thought it was so funny to grab women in their genitals. Yeah. You know, our, I hadn't our, thought of I hadn't I, I hadn't thought of the speculation that the that the death threats to Dr. Blasey Ford were anything other than the actions of <laughs> of, of mean spirited uh, bullies acting alone. Uh, I, I still think uh-uh. that Occam's Razor would suggest that that is the most likely uh, the, oh, the, the most likely scenario. But I hadn't thought of alternatives. Uh, but Susan from Mountain View, Arkansas, thank you. And I also want to say thank you for donating uh, people who to your to Free Speech TV, also to your local. Uh, purpose-driven media organization yeah. that if there's going to be media that is not only driven by clicks, that's not only driven by turn- profits for companies, there's going to have to be people like you, Susan. Well, it, it's my pleasure. You do so much for the American people and teaching them just what is going on in the world. And that is so important. And I cannot imagine you not being there. Well, Susan, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Carol, we got just a little bit. You're on the line. You've also been waiting patiently from South St. Louis. Speak your piece. Oh, wonderful. I'm online. I can't believe it. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I really want to talk about Kavanaugh, and it's making me crazy because everyone's talking about the rape accusation. Now, I know it wasn't an actual rape, but, you know, if you look up how often women lie about rape, I looked it up. 2%, 8%, 2%, 8%, maybe 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances of her lying are just overwhelmingly, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and, yeah. you're on that side of caution, it would be to believe her. It's and, crazy and I, the way no one's talking about it. And, I, and my own my own view, which I don't, you know, I want to be even humble as I offer it, but I fear that it's not even, that the, the Republicans aren't at this point evaluating truth or fiction, but whether or not they even care. This is Tom's show. We'll be back. If you want the absolute best shirts around, you have to go to CT Shirts. I want you to try them because once you do, you'll never go back to some random shirt off the shelf of a department store. Plus, CT Shirts come in custom sizes, so you're not messing with ill-fitted sleeve links or neck sizes. It's time to step up your game and look your best. So I got you a special CT Shirts deal. Three CT Shirts for $99. CT Shirts use the softest, most exquisite fabrics ever. Worker casual, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked. When you're wearing a CT shirt, you will look your best. So here's the deal. One CT shirt normally costs 100 bucks, but right now you'll get three CT shirts for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. If you hurry, 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to www.ctshirts.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's www.ctshirts.com slash Tom. Somebody who's been waiting very patiently, Russ, on Free Speech TV in Portland, Oregon. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, three things, uh, Jefferson. Um, Number one, early in the show you had a gentleman on who thought that gasoline should be $25 a gallon. I just have to Is say that how much he said? I don't remember how much he said it was supposed to. I know he said it raised, but I couldn't hear him exactly on the number he said. Was it that high? Anyway, keep going. It was, he said 25 a gallon. Okay. And, and, and I just have to say that this gentleman has never worked a minimum wage job, as I have, where having a vehicle is a condition of employment. You have no choice if you want to have the job. 
and there are millions of people in this country who are in that boat and jacking up the price of gas you know in the name of of uh, whatever is just not fair at all so the, the, uh, so yeah so bear with us for a second i want to you feel free to respond to what i'm about to say tell me to jump in a lake so yeah 25 dollars is is an enormously high price. I do. I did say, and after he spoke up, uh, talking about a carbon tax, which would increase not to twenty five dollars, might only be a few pennies, might be some dimes, might be a dollar, uh, but increase the price of gas. And and what I do think is we have to redesign the American city, the American landscape, because if we keep population growth at the level we are at now. And if we keep fossil fuel consumption at the level per capita that we are now, and if we don't subscribe to the fiction that climate change isn't real and isn't human caused, then it is only a matter of time. And some of that time is already happening where there are lots of islands and atolls that won't exist anymore. I recognize that doesn't put food on the uh, on the tables of people right now who need a car to get to work. How would you how would you wrestle with it? Do you think it's well, we shouldn't raise a gas tax at all or we should raise it a little bit or we should raise it, but then make sure that there's support for people? so they can actually transport themselves? How do you think it through? Well, I, I really don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this because I have a few other things I'd like to talk about, but I, <laughs> I, just don't think, I just don't think that it ought to be raised, you know, substantially, you know, beyond what the market is, uh, is charging. And by the way, if, if uh, Trump and Pompeo and, and uh, Bolton get their wish and we have a war with Iran and the Iranians shut down the Straits of Hormuz, uh, you're going to see the price of gas go way up. Uh, right. And this, is, and, also, this is why, uh, and this is why, to me, the priority has got to be on gradually. And it's got to be somewhat gradual, I recognize it, but it's been way too gradual. We had a chance to do it and get it done during the Carter administration. We had, there was a chance we could have meaningfully impacted the onward sweep towards climate change. But, but, the, uh, but fossil fuels are already subsidized significantly, not only directly and not only through military might indirectly, but also indirectly by not internalizing the costs that fossil fuels offer. You said you had another thing. I know Tom's rule is usually one idea per person, but I appreciate your patience. Say your other one. I'll move to the next call. Well, the, the one other thing I wanted to say, I just wanted to give a shout out to all my fellow senior citizens. I'm 68 years old. I'm on Medicare. Uh, the emperor God who now sits in the White House promised on numerous occasions, all on videotape, that he would not touch Medicare, Social Security, or Medicaid. He is he lied. advocating drastic cuts in all three of those programs. And if you're a senior citizen who voted for Trump in 2016 and you vote Republican and the midterm elections upcoming, you might as well just go get a razor and slit your own throat because they're going to slit it for you. Russ, thank you so much for calling. I, I, I want to re- respond. The other piece, one of the reasons why I would I would couple the carbon tax with sending people a check is precisely what Russ was saying, that anything we do that elevates the price of carbon will impact the lives of people who use a little bit more carbon in their life or even just use a pretty regular amount of carbon. And that's why we should help them and send them a darn check back. And by the way, that's not an unfair thing to do. We didn't give birth to any of that. None of us made that carbon in the first place. None of it made that air. None of us made those trees. That was all made prior to us. It's only fair that we should share in the bounty, at least in some way, if we're going to plunder that bounty. And also, I really appreciated Russ's point. And let's and let's 
elevate it just a little bit, if you'll, if you'll allow me. And I think that you will. He said, Donald Trump said he wouldn't touch Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Here's a problem. 75% of the federal budget goes to the following five things. This is a very helpful thing to know. For all of your coffee table conversations, for all of your water cool arguments, for all of your Twitter debates, this is a very useful thing to know. 75% of federal, give or take, 75% of the federal budget goes to the following five things. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, service and national debt, and U.S. military. That is what the government does. That is how it spends its money. Again, let me say those five. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, service and national debt, and U.S. military. That's three quarters of the federal budget. If you cut taxes significantly, there is no way to pay for those tax cuts unless you do something with Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, service and national debt, and U.S. military. We know that Trump doesn't want to and hasn't, and in fact has increased military spending. He doesn't want to decrease it. We know that all you do, you can't cut the debt unless you raise taxes or decrease spending in other ways. So that leaves there must be major cuts in Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Entitlement reform was why Paul Ryan has made it plain is why they did it. They, they cut taxes first because they say, OK, and then make the Democrats when the Democrats are in charge, make the Democrats cut those programs. Hard for the Republicans to do it. We'll just cut the taxes. We will just play Santa Claus and make the Democrats be the Grinch. Russ, I appreciate your call. I want to say this before we go. Because uh, I promised that I would. First of all, thank you again for being a part of the Tom Hartman community, for supporting this show, for supporting Free Speech TV, for supporting your local purpose-driven radio station. As we move into the fall, and today is the last day before the fall, elected Democrats and vocal leaders will be grappling with a moral, constitutional, tactical, and strategic conundrum. And that is whether or not to make a public call for impeachment. The case for no, the investigation isn't over, the facts aren't all gathered, Pence is no savior, impeachment doesn't seem to pull that well. As a matter of principle, we shouldn't take it lightly or hastily or rush such a process. Connecting impeachment to elections seems opportunistic and motivates the Trump and Republican base. The case for yes, the president is historically unfit and dangerous. There's mounting evidence supporting high crimes and misdemeanors. The fate of the public may depend on changing national leadership. Many people want Trump impeached and impeachment demands can build lists and energy. How do you wrestle with this? The suggestion that we have talked about here, call for more than impeachment. Impeachment might be necessary, but it will not uproot oligarchy or white supremacy. It will not restore a stolen Supreme Court or ensure a woman's safety or her right to choose. It will not restore separated families or save 1,400 lives per year from gutted climate protections. We need to build a movement, a pro-democracy movement, a benevolent community that looks out for all of us it builds a stronger democracy. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you enjoyed summer. The fall starts next. This has been The Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. Love you. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.